0: well good morning welcome to grace i'm pastor ryan today we finish up our series on discipleship as we've been walking through jesus's last commands to his disciples in the final moments before his arrest and crucifixion in wrapping this theme up we come to the most pivotal understanding for the purpose of discipleship The great calling to the Christ follower is seen in the purpose of Jesus' words and actions, such that our words and actions would follow suit. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we seek to be biblical followers of the King of Kings. Uh, Maybe you've heard the saying before that uh, failing to plan means you're planning to... You all heard that one. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that's so true in the Christian life. Uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, but Jesus has a plan Uh, at at no point in Jesus's ministry. Was he winging it? Jesus always had a very specific plan. As we've been walking through our series on discipleship, we have been learning a little bit about that plan. And today we really are going to come to the culmination of it all. Uh, We're going to get to a passage where Jesus is going to pray again. We looked at last week how he prays that we would know him. And in knowing him, Jesus Christ, knowing God in the flesh, that you would be able to find eternal life. I don't know if I'm just kind of moving away the cobwebs here from last week, right? The idea here is that you don't have to wait until heaven to experience what the fullness of life looks like. That Zoe life, that full living life. Unlike what the world understands, that is offered to you now in Jesus Christ. He's going to continue to pray. And as he does so, he's going to turn his attention to the disciples who are before him. And then, this is amazing, he prays for you. It just floors me. The idea that Jesus would know that one day, 2,000 years down the road, uh, I would be saved from my sins by his grace that he prayed for me. When Jesus prays, he prays in accordance to a specific plan, a plan that has been unfolding from the beginning of time. One that even the Apostle Paul tells us is enacted before time began, a glory that Jesus has and a glory that was predestined for Jesus, that he would be the firstborn among many to bring glory to God. So this is what we're gonna look at. How do we bring glory to God? And my hope is, as we're kind of wrapping this up today, you would without question understand, there's a plan I need to follow. Um, I I used to uh, play high school sports and uh, there were certain plays that we would call, whether it was on the football field or on the basketball court. And if somebody did not act according to the plan, according to the play, what would happen to the whole scheme? The whole thing would would fall down, and I think as I look around to the church in America, it's so so tempting for us to take our eye off the metaphorical ball, as it were, and focus on those things that tend to be a little bit more attractive according to our culture, whether that's the glitter and glamour that happens within too many churches, or the false idea of climbing a corporate ladder, even in church, that we think that we rise to higher heights than what God ever had planned for us. We've taken our eye off the ball. You, you're missing the plan and if you fail to plan essentially then you're planning to fail and so this is what we want to try to correct today today we're going to look at this unfolding plan that jesus gives in his prayer for the disciples and as he prays then for you because you are his follower as well you are a disciple as well which means you got a role to play in this plan that he lays forth Um, i told you last week That uh, chapter 17 in John's Gospel. If you have your Bibles, please take them out and turn there with me. Uh, Chapter 17 is one that kind of coalesces so many themes that get brought together. Um, I mentioned it's like one of those big cheeseburgers that you can't get your mouth around. Well, today, it's a buffet. That's what it is. You ever been to a good buffet? Right? And uh, if you have, you might be like me and find one item that you think is the best and then accidentally get too full off that one item. Let me warn you that you don't let that happen this morning. Um, we could do that. We could get stuck just in a couple verses and you'd be stuffed with scriptural, spiritual truth. But there's so much that we need to try. And so if you ever go to a buffet with a buddy the, you, you, should, you should strategize about this thing. And you're going to try that and you're going to try that and you're going to try that. And then we're all going to Tell each other which ones are the best. That's kind of what we're going to do this morning. We're going to work our way through this text, and we're going to try to sample from a lot of different places. Essentially, there are two primary commands. That's what we're going to look for, all right? Two primary commands that Jesus is going to ask from the Father. He asks them in a commanding sense because they're his plan, and they're God's plan. That's what we're really going to focus on. And then my job today is going to be to try to knit together the fullness of this text so that you know what to do. Everybody with me? Say amen if you're with me. Okay, here we go. John chapter 17. We're going to start uh, in verse 6. I've titled this message, Holiness and Unity. These are, these are primary themes that we're going to see uh, driven, but we're going to look for those two commands as well. So John 17 and verse 6. Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. By the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is Truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Oh, I feel like a buffet to you. That, that, that to me, is a gr- that's a nice spread there. There's a lot that we could sink our teeth into. Um, in fact, I would turn to this passage to preach on many different topics that are sourced in it. Our subject matter, though, is discipleship. And that's the, that's the trajectory that I want to walk down. And so in effort to stay true to this theme of discipleship and what that means as Jesus prays for his disciples, a few observations really to begin with. Uh, first of all, starting off in verse 8, you have, uh, you have a fantastic passage where Jesus outlines three characteristics of a true disciple. Three characteristics of a true, 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 true disciple. The first is that they obey or accept your word. Look with me again in verse 8. He says, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they, they accepted them. Everybody see that? That, that? that is worth underlining in your Bible. And this, again, even as we started at the first week on discipleship, this needs to be at the very beginning of our discussion as to what it means to be a Christ follower. Jesus says, If you love me, you will... Obey me, right? So his words are given. What do you do with them? Any sinners in church this morning? Yeah, well, okay. So then what do we do? What do we do? We seek to obey him. We seek to live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. And when we do sin, what do we do? We confess our sins and find that he is faithful and just. He's loving. He is kind, merciful, and good to forgive us our sins. That is in obedience to him. If you love Jesus, you obey him. So again, the characteristic that Jesus here outlines in verse 8 of a true disciple is that when you have God's word offered, you do what with it? You accept it. You know what? Sometimes I think we struggle with this, right? I mean, first of all, let's be honest. God's word is not popular in our world today. God's command and frankly, the idea that truth is not what you or I want it to be. Truth is what God has said it to be. Boy, that's not something that's popular in our world. And so you might still be in process. You, you might be here today, a true believer in Jesus Christ, a true disciple, but still really wrestling with, boy, God's word sure sometimes feels like it does not rub me right in terms of how it matches with what the state might legislate or what might be allowed or accepted in our culture. So what do you do with this? You can't, you can't follow two masters can only follow one. My, my hope is that wherever God's word in your life continues to challenge you, don't let that challenge stop. Continue to say, Lord, soften my heart. Lord, help me to see that I'm called to love those, even if they're called, even if they are living in a rebellion against you. It's not a matter of me accepting sin or saying that sin is now somehow sanctified or God has changed. God's word does not change. And so a true disciple, when God's word is given one more time, what do they do with it? That's right. All right. Secondly, the true disciple knows with certainty that Jesus is the Savior. Really, that should be obvious. (laughs) Um, If you think that you get saved through any which way and that everybody's going to heaven, I got to really be honest with you. I am not sure at all why God would ever send his son to die upon a cross. Hear me now. If you could get saved any which way, why did he do that? Why in the world would God do this unless this was the only way to make recompense, to make reconciliation, to make atonement for your sins? Do you remember in the garden? God, I want you to know something about God. God is locked into his word. Whatever he says is going to stand. And in the garden, he said, the day that you eat of it, you will what? So the penalty of sin is what? Can that change? Can God? Some people will say, "Oh, God can do anything. He could just snap his finger, and he could." He can't. Do you know why? God has already tied Himself to His Word. He cannot break His Word. His Word was, "You eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die," which means the penalty of sin that must be paid. It's what's represented on this table right now. That's what it is. It's death. And you and I have offended an Almighty holy God by our sins we would rather go our own way than follow his way this was the problem in the garden don't think for a second that if you were there instead of Adam or Eve you would have chosen any differently you might have lasted a couple more seconds than they they did but every single one of us that temptation to decide especially in the deceiving words of that serpent your eyes will be opened and you will be like God how does that not sound tempting to you Every one of us at one point would fall. Every one of us would fall estranged from God, now separated from him because of sin. And the penalty of death would be due to us. Adam and Eve, they died in that moment spiritually, and then they died physically. And every child that they produced from there on comes into this world spiritually dead to God, which is why Jesus says you must be born again, that your spirit would be reborn. And then you'll have the hope of eternal life that one day God will raise our bodies from the dead as well. Where else are you going to turn for this? If there was a way that you could find salvation anywhere else, none of the cross is necessary. But God has tied himself to his word. He said death was the penalty, which means we need a savior to die in our place. This in verse 8 is exactly what will characterize a true disciple. Again, I will, I will read verse 8. For I've given them the words you gave me. They accepted them in the number 2 They knew with certainty that I came from you. There's a lot more I could say about this. In fact, the people who Jesus are praying for right now are the disciples. The disciples will become the, they have another title. I don't know if you know what it is. Starts with an A. They'll become apostles. Apostle means one who is sent. And here, these who were with Jesus, walked and talked with Jesus, knew with certainty he's the Savior. They now become those who will go and through their witness, share that with the rest of the world that the rest will come to faith. There's a reason why Jesus prays for them here, but that's the identification of a true disciple. You don't look anywhere else. You don't have hope in these other areas. You know Jesus alone with certainty that he is the Savior. All right, number three, and this is a big one. They believe with faith. They believe with faith. So the end of verse eight, after he says, they knew with certainty that it came from you and... They believed that you sent me. The Greek word here is pistuo. It's a word that means you have a kind of confidence in what you believe such that it invokes faith. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm explaining this, that you don't think that it's just some sort of intellectual assent of truth. Let me ask you a question. Yes or no? Do demons believe? Yeah, don't get that one wrong. The demons believe that Jesus is God, was sent from God. They get that. Yes or no? Do demons place their faith in Jesus? No, no they don't. Uh, we might use that same word belief in both those contexts. This is very specific context here. Means that it is belief that is evidenced by faith. I got to be careful here how long I go on this. Let me, let me, I'm going to do one minute on this. Um, Trying to pick a volunteer. Cody, you come up here. Easy for me to pick on Cody. All right. Now now I've done this a a bunch of times. If Cody were to, I say, fall back and I'll catch you. All right. Do you believe I'll catch you? How do you know that? Yeah, he said it. How do you know it's true? His mom will get you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. If I say, count of three, one, two, three, fall, the only way that you know if the belief is true is if he does what? Oh. Otherwise, it's not faith. Do you, do you see the difference there? All right, give him a round of applause. Thank you for coming up for it. It's, it's such a simple example, but it's the one that's necessary. When we say we believe in God, but we don't have any action that corresponds to that, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. Uh, John writes about this in his epistle. He says anybody who claims to love God but doesn't love his brother is a liar. He's he's lying. He's lying to himself. He's self-deceived because who can say that he loves his brother whom he has seen but can't love God whom he has not seen? The idea here is that if you truly love God, it will be manifest in your life through action. Through action. That's what faith is. Faith is belief in action. And this is exactly what Jesus says here concerning the disciples. He says, for they believed that you sent me. They placed their faith in Jesus. Now, this is still before the crucifixion. It's still before the resurrection. The disciples are still on their journey of really understanding in the fullness of what that means. I I have to lay this out for you, though. Everybody with me on this? We're we're covering discipleship. I'm not going to return to this for a a, a while again. Here you go. These are the key identifiers as to what makes a true disciple. They obey, they accept God's word, even if it's hard. They believe it, they own it. Secondly, they know with certainty Jesus alone is the Savior. The exclusivity of Jesus is something that's not popular in our world today. Like it or not, this is not my word. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So not my words, those are his words. He's right or he's wrong. If there's another way, why the cross? And then lastly, they place their faith in this one whom God has sent. All right. So if you got that under your belt, you ready for the plan? Here here we go. Let's, Let's dive into this now because I want us to pay attention to the two key verbs that Jesus gives. As he's going to send disciples out into the world, the very first thing he asks of God is that God will protect them. If you look in your Bibles into verse 11, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them. Protect them by the power of the name, the name that you gave me. What I'd like to do is I'd like to show you from the text the reason why. Why is Jesus praying that, that you would be protected? There's three reasons. They actually come a little bit earlier in the text. Look with me in verse 9. He says, I'm praying for them. I pray for them. Uh, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they're yours. So the first reason why Jesus says, Father, protect them, is because who do you belong to? You belong to Jesus. That's why he wants you to be protected. There's, There's ownership over you. Uh, one of the things that uh, my wife will do occasionally by going to Walmart is uh, buy strawberries. You've all seen those little strawberry boxes, right? Now I don't always eat strawberries, but every now and then you just want a strawberry. Anybody with me? Just I be really go for strawberries. So um, I go and I look in the fridge. Matter of hours after she gets back, and guess where the strawberries are? Gone. That's right. I need to, and so I figured this out, I need to find one of those little Tupperware things, and I need to remove some and put them into their own little place, right, so that I do what? What's this verb? It's protect them. From who? From the kids. That's right. Because who do they belong to? They're mine. That's right. You all get the picture here, right? You are God's strawberries. <laughs> He wants to protect you. There's a a, a roaring lion out there. When you leave this place, you might recognize his voice. You might recognize it. There's a roaring lion that's out there that wants to devour you because you belong to him. So that's first of all. They, uh, They belong to Jesus. The second reason why he asks for protection is because they bring Jesus glory. If you look with me into verse 10, he says... All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. That ought to humble you right now. The, the idea that God would subjugate his glorification into our hands is that not a little frightening? That, that really the, the matter of God being glorified in this world is entrusted to us. So if God is going to be glorified, who's that going to happen through? That's right. And so we need to be, what's the verb again? We need to be protected. We need protected such that we can continue to bring God glory. And thirdly, um, he says protect them because Jesus is going to the Father. So this was in verse 11. He says, I remain in the world no longer. They are still in the world. Uh, this, was, this was really something that uh, impacted my life when I was in college. I remember one of my college professors saying that if God was through with you, you would be in heaven right now. So what? What what does that mean if you're not in heaven? It means God's not, not He's not through with you, right? Um, Jesus, while He was with the disciples, Jesus had control and still has control. You might recall at the end of Matthew's gospel, as He's ascending to the Father, He says, "All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me." Jesus says, "Therefore, go make disciples." Like the idea was, you can go into the world because. I've got this under my control. Protection is still something that's covered over you. And the reason is because Jesus is, he's now going to ascend to the father. So his request to the father is that he will continue to protect them. Um, I, I want to make it a point to um, answer the next question and I don't have it up here, but how is that going to happen, right? You get the verb, the why, right? You understand Jesus is going to protect us. How is he going to protect us? There's two things that I want to offer to you. The first is his name. So again, in verse 11, he says, protect them by the power of your name. I don't know if you've ever had moments in your life where you just feel spiritually attacked. You might feel a sense of depression in your life. You can call on the name of Jesus Christ in those moments. Uh, If there's anybody who has ever felt that in their life, there is a comfort and a peace of calling upon he who has been given all authority. Jesus has offered to protect us how? By the power of his name. The second area, that, the second way that he's offered to protect us is actually found into verse 16. Um, he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Now, I don't want to confuse you on this because this is actually the how of part one. It's also the second verb. Sanctify them. So, how are you protected? By being sanctified. Boy, isn't that a church word? That is like a church word right there. Was, I'm being sanctified today. It's right? very, a very high church word, right? This word, all it means is to be made holy. And the word holy means to be set apart. Do you remember the strawberry example? I'm sanctifying them strawberries when I take them out of the thing and I put them over into the other box. I'm setting them apart apart. When Jesus is praying to the Father that you will be protected because he's not taking you out of the world. He's going to leave you in the world. In fact, look with me in verse 15. If you, if you want Jesus' words for this, he says, my pr- Oh, this is... This is what I was just saying. My prayer is not that you will take them out of the world, but that you will protect them from the evil one. Here's the how that happens. Now, Jesus could... Jesus could take you home. He could, and he does. If there's ever a loved one that you've lost, understand this, they finished their race. They fought their fight. Their purpose for glorifying God has come to a close, right? It's the idea that you're playing a game and you just get benched for a while. It's not that you're off the team. It means the rest of them are still out there playing. That's us. But any that we have lost, they've done their work. They've done their job. He doesn't take you out of the world. Now, this ought to cause us to think for a moment as to whom uh, those that we interact with. It's going to be tempting for Christians to only interact with Christians. Does anyone know what I'm saying? Phil, you know what I'm saying? Like when you're around these people who are using language that it's just kind of wears on your soul to hear all the time. You know what? I'd rather be around believers, honestly, than around people who are carrying these worldly values. And so there's this temptation to draw away from the world. That's not what Jesus is saying. Are you on the same page? Say amen if you're on the same page with yeah. me. The idea is we're not taking them out of the world. We're protecting them while they're in it. While they're still going through it, they will be protected. He doesn't remove them, He sanctifies them. He sets them apart. All right, we have another reason why. So, number one is because they are not of the world. You see this in a few places. Verse 14 has it I've given them your word. The world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. And again, verse 16 They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Do you guys get what that means? Of versus in. You need to be in the world, but not of it. You need to be fighting for the reputation of your Savior living and modeling what a Christ follower looks like in the world. If I were to come in here and um, with all these lights on, flip on, a, flip on a flashlight or a little candle like this. I mean, the light's nice. You can see it, right? But it's, it's honestly, it's kind of overshadowed by all of the other light that's in here. But what if I went into a dark room? Pitch black. Can't see a thing. One of those like, I'm going to trip. I'm going to trip, right? And then I light the candle. What effect does that candle have in the darkness? It illumines it. It illumines it. This is exactly the concept that Jesus wants you to share. In fact, he will say this earlier in his teaching to his disciples. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it under a bush. He lets it shine. So that the light fills the whole room. I'm not sharing anything different than what Jesus is sharing. That's the reason. You are not of the world, but you are in the world. And the other reason you need to be sanctified is because Jesus has sent you into the world. This one's humbling as well. Verse 18. Look with me in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is worth underlining. Remember the illustration I'm kind of pressing upon this morning. There is a plan. When I was playing in high school basketball, uh, we had one play where I was supposed to... I was the point guard, so I had to call it to play, right? I dribbled the ball off the court, and I I had to pass it to this wing. And then as soon as I passed it, I had to go and set a pick for the guy in the other wing. And he was going to come around, and it's an easy bucket laying just like that. Now, what if I pass the ball and do one of these? What's going to happen to the play? I'm going to get... Bench is what's going to happen. I'm probably teased a little bit by my friends if I were to do that. Um, l- listen, if we're not following the play, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Jesus says, As you, Heavenly Father, have sent me into the world, Jesus says, I have sent them. Do you guys get the play? Are, are you seeing what's, what's required of us as Christians? This is not a time to retreat into our own little Christian world, our own private little Bible studies, our own private little Christian music, our own private little. God has a purpose for you on earth. It's to bring light into darkness. This is why he prays, protect them. Do you, by the way, say yes if you think God can protect you. Yes. Say no if you think God can't protect you. Good. Thank you. That's the right answer, by the way, for church. Don't have any fear. You have nothing to fear. God has control over your life. You have nothing to fear. He will protect you. But then protection is going to happen as you become holy, as you pursue sanctification. And so let me answer once more the question that's not up there. Oh, I do have it up there. How? How is this going to happen? And this is a really important point. I told you this was a buffet this morning, so don't get full yet. We're not done yet. Verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. How do you pursue sanctification? This is not a trick question. It's through his word. I, I know uh, uh, my Bible studies here on Wednesdays, they keep growing. Our, our morning Bible study sometimes even gets up to 20 or so. The, the evenings is, are very faithful. I'll say that. They're not quite as big, but they're very faithful. Now, I know if you're not coming to Bible study on Wednesday, I know you're going to some other Bible study somewhere else. I know that, right? That must be true because you need to be protected. You need to be sanctified. And how are we sanctified? Through his word. So I know you're studying his word. I know you are. And, and you know, someday you might leave whatever Bible study you're leading at your house and come up here to church. But anytime, you're welcome to come. Anytime, Wednesdays, 8 a.m., 7 p.m., anytime. Um, Sanctification comes through his word. It comes through the the truth that God gives. So this is the plan that Jesus gives to his disciples. Um, Two other things that I want you to know, and these are, again, part of the buffet. These are super important. They have to do with more of the questions why. So what will be the result of this? What will be the result of you... Being protected and you being sanctified, it means that you will be one. I'm so thankful for this week to see how the churches have bonded together. If you look with me in Jesus' prayer, verse 11 again, he says, I remain in the world no longer, uh, but they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of the name, the name that you gave me, so that... Do you see the why there? Okay, all right, Jesus... Why do you want God to protect us? So that they may be one, even as we are one. If you couldn't catch it the first time, Jesus said, he says it a couple more times. Jump down to verse 21 now. In verse 21, he says, "All that that all of them may be one. If you look at verse 22, he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be, what's it say? One, even as we are one. Verse 23, I and them... And you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Everybody get the point here? If you are fearlessly representing God in this world while being sanctified by his truth, the result, Jesus says, is that the church will be one. That's awesome. That is awesome. And there's a reason. What? Why, why not? I mean, I would have been there. I would have been like raising my hand like, hey, Jesus! quick question. Quick question. Why not two or three or four or five? Don't you think we should change the plan instead of being one? Maybe we could be many, right? And then we'll make a bigger impact. Jesus actually has a reason why. There's a goal behind this. And so this is the last thing I want to show you on the plan. The goal behind this, why the church needs to be one. So that the world will know who God is. Look with me again in verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's the reason why the church needs to be one. We are speaking a message, not with words but with our actions for whether or not the church is unified. We're speaking that message to the world. There's another place you'll see this again in verse 23. Again, this answer of the goal. He says, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? Look at the next sentence or next phrase. To let the world know that you sent me. Do we need to take like a stretch break i know this buffet is like oh i'm getting full pastor you got to wrap this thing up um i'm I'm, tr- I'm trying to get you to see that there's actually some correspondence that needs to happen with this protection and sanctification is given for the purpose of being one being one is given for the purpose that the world may know god that's it that's the equation step one step two step three be protected into the world be sanctified if you do that right you will be one with god's people if you're one with God's people, you will speak a message to the world that they may know God. Now, Jesus sums this up in a really helpful way. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on wrapping this up here. Verse 25. I want you to see just how this is like this one verse coalesces this whole idea. Look what Jesus prays. Verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you. That, is everybody in agreement that's the problem? The problem is the world doesn't know you. And so what do we find? We find lunatics shooting up Walmarts. That's what we find. We find people deranged out of their minds, unloved by the world, overcome with the idiocracy of social media that they fail to understand where true identity is found. And their minds are warped and their hearts are darkened. They don't know God. That's the problem. So Jesus says, here you goes. Step number one, they don't know you. Look at the next phrase. I know you. What about you? Can you say that like Jesus? Do you, do you know God? This remember, this is the whole scope of it. Here's the problem. The world doesn't know God, but I know, I know you. Alright, and then step number three, and they know you have sent me. That's the goal. If you know God, the reason you are here on earth is to be part of his plan. And his plan is to make The Father known. So just look at verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So this is it. Application. That's the plan. Make the Father known. That's it. I'm going to stick to my notes on this, too, because I want to give you the way to make that happen, right? Uh, nobody in here this morning should leave church and be like, hey, what did the pastor preach on? I don't know, I was thinking about the tacos, I don't know. Uh, make the Father known. Turn to your neighbor, say, make the Father known. Oh, that's good, I just got 80 preachers in church, that was awesome, I love it. Now, how are you gonna do that? How is that gonna happen? Here you go, step number one. Be one. Be one. You're going to make the Father known? Starts here. I do not care about denominations. I do not care. I am willing to work with anyone who says Jesus Christ is Lord. And look, all those issues that we like to fight and argue about, yeah, let's talk about those. I got no problem with that. I love theology. But more than theology, I love obedience to God. And he said that we need to be one. Sometimes we need to let our differences aside occasionally so that the church could be united because that's the plan all along. We're supposed to be one. So be one, first of all, with Christ. This is huge, by the way. This is where it starts. If you're not one with Christ, because he starts there, he says, I in them and they in me. This is where it starts. This is what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. We mean he is my ruler. He's my authority. He tells me what to do. He is the one who... I look to for guidance, right? That's what it means to be one with Christ, and then secondly, we need to be one with each other. Um, Even though I'm a little bit Running short here, which never happens. If you're new here, this never happens in our church. Um, I was looking through the New Testament to see if this teaching showed up anywhere else. So here, Philippians 1, 27, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That wasn't the only place. Philippians 2 says it as well. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. And then he says again in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And I found it again in Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. And I found it again in Ephesians 4. So this this goes on for quite a while. Uh, I want you to know, I, I would take the challenge, I can find this message in any book of the New Testament. Everywhere, this is woven throughout. Now, first of all, let me give one small asterisk. There are differences with believers. And the Bible even tells us it's a good thing that there are differences. Differences should not lead to division. Differences should lead to you and I learning how to love one another, even in the midst of those differences. So there are differences, and I'm saying that most of those are okay. There are certain things we need to stand on. One of those we already outlined, right? You, he said to the disciples, you need to have full confidence that Jesus is the Savior, right? So that's right down the middle. You've got to believe in the authority of God's word. That's right down the middle, and you have to have faith. Those are non-negotiables. Any church that doesn't hold to those, they're not really a church. So there are non-negotiables. But beyond that, we have differences. Differences should not be division. All right, so there you go. How are we going to make a father known? Step one, be one. Step two, be holy. Be set apart. I love the idea that you are God's strawberries. And he picked you out of the rest of the bushel. And he put you aside for himself. Now, how are you going to maintain that? How are you going to continue to walk in his choosing to sanctify you. And I want to give you a couple of ways. First of all, be protected from the evil one. This is this is exactly what Jesus said back in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, my wife gets nervous when Micah goes down to City Park in town because, because honestly, the cops were like questioning people at City Park the other day. They had some drugs that were around. And and anyways, my wife just is very nervous if he's down there hanging out with those kids, right? So she wants to do what? Protect him, right? To make sure that he's being set apart. Now, he still needs to be in the world. We still need to be in the world. But you need to be very careful that you're not allowing some of those values, language, the, the thoughts of the world to infiltrate into your heart. Those values are of a different system. They are not of God's system. So you need to be protected from the evil one, and then you need to be sanctified by his word. Okay. I just have a couple of questions to wrap up. And these are, these are some that I, I wish you would answer. Number one, how much participation do you have with other brothers and sisters in Christ? How much are you being one? These questions are designed to unite with our application, right? How much interaction do you have with the church down the road, with the church that you grew up in, with the church that maybe we don't agree with everything there? I'll tell you the honest truth in my life. I tend to distance myself when I don't have relationships with them because I begin to think I'm Mr. Smarty Pants, know it all, and they're not, and that's not healthy at all. But the more I'm around members of other churches, the more I realize these are my brothers and sisters. And as we develop relationships, relationship, we can start to work through some of these issues that we don't talk about. Are you participating? Are, are you actively seeking to have good, positive relationships with locally and then internationally? The church is not just here. Um, I, got a, I got a thank you note right here from Heather. She's our, our missionary. Remember, she spoke here a couple of weeks ago. She says, thank you so much for allowing me to speak. It was an absolute joy to see all of you, to be encouraged by you. Thank you for your continued support and prayers. May we see many more lives glorify the Lord this year. Thank you for partnering with me. There's a church down in the Dominican Republic that we want to partner with. You need to be intentional about that. So I want you to ask yourself that question. Next, how are you actively in the world but not of the world? That takes intentionality. If you're not actively thinking about this purposefully... You're going to start to look like you're of the world. You still need to be in it. Next one. um, How are you protecting yourself from the world's values? How are you loving the sinner while hating the sin? It's a big one in our world today. How are you becoming holy or sanctified through God's word daily? Yeah, you heard me right. Daily. Daily privately and corporately. Well, you want me to read the Bible every day, Pastor? I don't yes, that's exactly what I want. Why? Because that's how we become sanctified, through his word. And are you making the Father known? Remember, that was the game plan. Are you making the Father known? Okay. Where? How? Could, could, you, could you write it down today, how you're actively trying to make the Father known? Because this is the question. Are you following his plan? Jesus has a plan. And if you're not following the plan, if you're not planning, being part of what Jesus has laid forth, I think you might be planning instead to fail. May that never be said of us. Right? You're all kind of on the hook now. I, I explained it pretty clear, right? Make the Father known. Y'all with me on this? Amen if you would. Amen.